Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From across Louisiana, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti, Stephanie Regal, and Christian Mader. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's Freeman School of Business Professor of Finance. Stephanie Regal is editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report. Christian Mader is publisher and editor of The Current. It's business Louisiana style. Hi, and welcome to Out to Lunch Louisiana. I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. I'm Christian Mader in Lafayette. And I'm Peter Raschuti in New Orleans. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic, Stephanie, Christian, and I are taking a weekly statewide look at what's happening in the world of business and finance. How's that social distancing going? Are you managing to keep six feet away from everybody else? How do you figure out what six feet is? I've heard people describe it as the length of two supermarket shopping carts or the same height as Drew Brees, if you can imagine Drew lying down on the ground in front of you. If you're looking for a more reliable measure, Baton Rouge company Ingenuity Global has a digital solution. It's a wristband that buzzes when you're within six feet of someone. If you're saying, wait, what? They've already sold tens of thousands of these wristbands at $100 each? Yeah, uh, Dan Decody from Ingenuity Global is going to be joining us today to tell us who's buying them. It's probably not who you think. Before we get to Dan, I'm sure this has happened to you. You go to your doctor and she refers you to another doctor, a specialist. Do you know how your doctor decides who to refer you to? You might be surprised to learn that there's no established method. It's more or less like recommending a restaurant. Now, when someone recommends a restaurant to you, it's usually because they've been to the restaurant. But when your doctor recommends you to see a mental or behavioral health professional, like a psychiatrist or a therapist, there's a very good chance your doctor has never seen this person professionally. But when your doctor recommends that you go see a mental or behavioral health professional, like a psychiatrist or a therapist, there's a very good chance your doctor has never actually seen this person professionally herself. So what is your doctor basing the recommendation on? Maybe the therapist is someone your doctor knows personally, or maybe she's heard good reports from other patients. Don't you think there ought to be a better way for medical professionals to find and refer each other? And that's what Trevor Colhoun thought too. Trevor's company, Trusted Provider Network, transforms medical referrals and recommendations into a more medically sound and logical system. Trevor, welcomed out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Excited to be here. Trevor, Trusted Provider Network is not for consumer recommendations. As we said, it's not like a medical Yelp. It's for medical professionals only, but it's not like LinkedIn or Facebook for doctors either. So what is exactly a Trusted Provider Network and how does a doctor use it? So Trusted Provider Network is a closed network only for licensed professional behavior health, but also for the physicians as well. To use it and enter into the platform these professionals must be licensed either with their, generally with their state board. And, and so how, how, many, how many professionals do you have using it and, and, and how have you reached out to them? How have you gotten them on board into your network? So 
We have, um, just to get to the bottom line, we have 3,500 professionals. Most of them are in Louisiana. We started the company in Louisiana. We're now reaching out into Texas, the surrounding states, um, and actually probably 20 other states right now, and we'll be in 20 states by the end of the year. Um, how they join is really a, a COVID story. Um, we created for um, behavioral professionals virtual conferences. So all professionals need to get continuing education, generally about 20 hours a year, okay? That process in, in achieving those uh, certificates ended with COVID because the face-to-face -face conference ability ended. We pivoted our marketing strategy and created virtual conferences and produced virtual conferences for all associations. And now we've, we've partnered with about 30 associations across the US, um, well, about 20 states at this point. They go on to our virtual conference and being part of the virtual conference, they join our network. And Trevor, this is Peter. Um, I just wanted to ask another question. You you got this company, you bought it, it was, I guess, based in Georgia before COVID. Uh, what did you see in the company? You're, you know, by, by training, you're an investment banker. What attracted you? And is it uh, hard to get capital for something like this? Because people really haven't heard of this yet. Uh, well, capital is never easy to get. I don't care what anybody tells you. Um, so the founders of the company, um, Christopher O'Shea and Jimmy Mooney, had the, the company based in um, Georgia. Christopher actually is from Louisiana. Uh, the company was focused on the treatment side um, and really the, the chemical dependency treatment side. It's a very large market, very about $50 billion uh, market in behavioral health. The entire behavioral space is about $350 billion. Uh, they identified really an issue, which is the, the, the biggest travesty in, in behavior health, is that people that are seeking help in chemical dependency space really have no process of finding match care. They usually use Google and they do Google searches. They go to a friend and a friend might want to have gone to Betty Ford and they said, oh, this works for you, but that's not a clinical match. And they were focusing on the treatment center. And really when I came in, I identified with them that the whole ecosystem needs to be involved here. You need to have the clinicians involved, you need to have the hospitals, um, and you need to have the treatment centers in that ecosystem for the whole uh, platform to work. So so if the idea is really that, that you're kind of improving upon how um, people can, let's say, figure out, you know, what clinician can, can refer their patients, um, or, or find or match them better, let's say with, with a new clinic. Um, one thing that strikes me is that we're still kind of relying on a word of mouth kind of thing. I mean, if you're putting people together and there are sort of credentials, I mean, how are we really evaluating this in a better way? If sort of the idea is that, you know, the doctor is not going to go through the rehab clinic himself or herself. So, so how do we know that this clinic or this method of connecting them with the clinic is really yielding better, um, better matches? So it, it's really strikes down to some simplicity. It's about match care. Um, and we really find through um, historical evaluation that if you are matched with the correct treatment center based on your diagnosed issues, your recovery rates skyrocket. Right now, recovery rates in treatment centers are 15% below. I mean, you're better staying on my third floor bedroom for 30 days to get recovery than maybe going to some treatment centers. Now, if you get matched care, your rates go above 50%. And what we're creating here is an ecosystem for professionals to work with each other, get referral, understand and see where other professionals are sending. And, and, and we are vetting the treatment centers 
internally uh, to, to, to find out one real basic thing. Many, we have a 16 page uh, evaluation process, but the, the basic thing we're trying to find bottom line is what they do best and what they don't do. And what they do best is generally one thing is we treat 30 year old women um, that have chemical dependency and, and, and trauma. And that's what they focus on. So if they get those clients and patients, their outcomes improve greatly. Because what you're seeing in the treatment center is they're reaching to fill beds. These are businesses at the end of the day. Um, and so if they can get clients that are brought to them from the tree, meaning the clinician picked right from the tree, then they'll get the better client. And the outcome of that is you know, their marketing budget goes way down. 30% of their revenue okay, goes to marketing. That's a huge number. okay. And that's because they're doing Google search engine, search engine. They're paying body brokers to get these folks, and body brokers aren't bringing in the right people. And they're and it's a, a horrible term, but what that really means is a well-intended individual in the ecosystem that's not a professional. Trevor, I understand the system and such, but I got to ask, how do you get paid? Yeah, so we are not Facebook. We're not LinkedIn. I'm glad you brought that up earlier. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Google their customers are their product, right? So they are mining them for information and getting data and that's how they build their ecosystem. Our product is our platform, okay? So we are essentially a SaaS model, okay? So we get paid on a monthly fee. We, we don't charge the clinicians for what we think is a lot and we don't, we're not charging them till January, 2021. Uh, so everybody who's coming on until we have all um, our feature set built out, which will be, be around September. Um, we won't charge them until January 2021. We're charging them $10 a month. And we think that that number is um, uh, low enough to really clear the market. Um, and if you are a clinician and you receive one referral, it should pay for itself for the year. And we're not a transactional-based business, so we're not paying on transactions. It's just access to the, the, to the, um, to the platform and you build out your permissions on, on how how robust you want your feature sets. Our other source of, of income comes from the treatment center. So the treatment centers pay to be on the platform. They have to pay us to be verified. Um, and um, the network accounts, which are hospitals who are, who are essentially net uh, referrers, okay? So they discharge patients and they're trying to find behavioral health access points. There are small, without naming them, one of the smallest hospitals in Louisiana um, and Uptown discharges 2,000 behavioral health patients a year, okay? And it's all analog. They don't have a digital process. They don't have connectivity. They're not getting analytics um, or anything like that. And I, I, I want to make a different point when you really think about our business, and Peter will really align to this and your users will align to this, is we really look at this business like the 70s and 80s in the financial market, kind of when Bloomberg came in, when, when Bridge Systems or Thomson, what we know now as Thomson Reuters, you had no connectivity, you had no analytics, and you had no data, okay? Then Bloomberg and all these systems came in and started giving transparency, giving analytics. That's really today where behavioral health is, okay? There's no connectivity happening right now. There's no analytics and there's no data, okay? And so that's the bigger piece. You know, the referral process we give, this connectivity is just feature sets of what the ultimate goal is to receive is to create this, you know, infrastructure um, kind of digital railroad tracks for this market system to connect with each other um, and really have a workflow dashboard for them to work and connect. It just doesn't exist right now. You've really built all this out just since March, since COVID? 
No, no. So we started January of 2019. What we built out in March um, is we went to a conference the end of February in Hattiesburg. Um, and how we did our process, our user acquisition model is we would, we would basically go to conferences. We'd be the number one sponsor. We'd put our booths out there and, and we'd sign up about 25% of the clinicians were at the conference. So a very good rate. Okay. A very good rate. Um, but then we kind of got a sense going to that conference that people were getting jittery and freaked out about COVID. It was, it was clear being there. And so I looked at my COO and I said, this thing is, you know, these things are all going to be canceled or people are going to stop going to them with COVID. March 1st, we started building this entire virtual conference process. And we put our first virtual conference on um, in April 1st. Um, and since then, we've done about 60 virtual conferences. Uh, we've handed out maybe 7,000 CE hours. We're scheduled um, to do probably four times that already in, in contract till the end of the year. Um, and it's we're drinking too much water than we can handle right now. So we're hiring and growing. It's, it's really fun. I've never really been involved in something like this. It's exciting. Fantastic. Chance favors a prepared, a prepared mind, as they say. Trevor Calhoun, thank you so much. Trevor is CEO of Trusted Provider Network. Trevor, thanks for joining us on Out to Lunch, Louisiana. Thanks for having me. All the best. You're listening to Out to Lunch Louisiana with Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge, Peter Raschuti in New Orleans, and I'm Christian Mader in Lafayette. If you use Waze or Google Maps to get around, you're used to hearing the instruction in 1,000 feet, turn right. Do you have any idea what 1,000 feet looks like? I do not. It doesn't really matter. You just know that it's sort of close, it's coming up, and you need to pay attention. Now, most of us, even when operating heavy machinery like a car, don't have a natural ability for judging distances. But if you're working with other people in industry, in construction, factory floor, or even school, it's now become vitally important to know what six feet looks like. Getting within six feet of another person greatly increases the chances of catching or spreading COVID-19. Once someone in the workplace or at school tests positive for COVID-19 and you have no idea what parts of the building they've been in or who they've been in contact with, the whole place has to shut down while it's cleaned and everyone has to get tested. So it's vital, not just for health, but for keeping businesses open that we know what six feet looks like. A local Baton Rouge company, Ingenuity Global, is solving this distancing problem with a product called Proxy Halo. The Halo is a wristband that alerts a user when they're within six feet of another Halo wristband. The wristbands cost 100 bucks each, and since May, Ingenuity Global has shipped tens of thousands of them to customers. Dan Decody is the owner and managing member of Ingenuity Global. Dan, welcome to Out to Lunch. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Great, thanks. Dan, okay, we'll get to what Ingenuity Global did before the demand for staying six feet away from each other came along. But first, walk us through how this happened with Proxy Halo. Proxy is a Canadian tech company that manufactures industrial wearables. So out of all the companies in the world, how does Ingenuity Global in Baton Rouge get to be the gateway to Proxy's timely technology? Well, when we first started Ingenuity Global's uh, two-year, five-month company into our existence. And one of the first uh, products we, we noticed or found when we started our business was Proxy. They're, they made a, a wearable that detected energized equipment and fields. And it worked real good into our industry because we do industrial automation and controls and electrical engineering um, services. So this wearable device 
kept people safe from um, uh, um, devices that they thought maybe were de-energized that had power, and this device gave them a warning, a haptic vibration, and an audible alarm, and a visual light going off. So proxy, when COVID came out, they realized that they have a proximity device that could alert others within a certain distance. So they already had a jump on how to make this device just simply using a low power Bluetooth to, or to, to detect another band within a certain distance. So this was, uh, they just saw an opportunity to help protect people and they already had the technology somewhat built. So we were a natural fit because we already had a good infrastructure of customers that were familiar with the proxy band that detected the energized sources. So you all basically uh, just sort of made the transition um, to, to uh, it just had to adjust the technology? How, how did it work? Yeah, so the company started adjusting the technology and realized their capabilities, and they would uh, kind of give us lessons on what the capabilities could be. And we started reaching out to our customer base and to their uh, advertising saying, hey, if you have a group of people that you need help in in this contact tracing or social distancing, we have a solution that we can provide. And it's simple, it's always on, always aware. It takes the guesswork. When, you, when you're planning to go back into business, when we were all at stay home under the stay home order, and then we were allowed to go back into the business under the phase two, it, it gave us an opportunity. Sometimes when you're working, you're not aware of your surroundings. So this device is your protection. If you're too close, it gives you that vibration. And when maybe if you're in the middle of a task and you, you're not paying attention, this reminds you, hey, you're a little too close. Keep that social distance. So I, I'm really curious about how this plays out in real time with an employee, you know, on, on the factory floor or whatever the case may be. I mean, you know, I got to imagine it's one thing if I'm getting close to a device that I shouldn't touch, right? Maybe it's electrified and it could kill me, but you know, people might be walking by each other a lot. I mean, is there any flexibility in that? So people don't just get annoyed, you know, to the point where they're saying to themselves like, Hey, I know I was six feet, you know, within six feet of this person, but you know, it wasn't that long, right? I think the biggest key is they're aware of it. You know, when you're in a normal day, you forget about what you're supposed to be doing is, oh, I'm a six feet, I'm a four feet. This device tells you, hey, you're a little too close and you're going to instantly move away. So it just makes you aware of your surroundings at all times. It's not foolproof. You know, people are going to maybe get annoyed, but it's going to make them conscious of, hey, I'm not too close to this person. Do I need to remind myself to stay eight feet away or stay even further away? It's just a kind of a training uh, tool that'll help them make those decisions when their mind may be on their work or on their family back home or whatever. It just helps them be reminded to stay that safe distance. Dan, this is Peter. I know you're not medical folks, but this contact tracing, are you, do you all worry about uh, HIPAA uh, regulations? Well, there's, there's, uh, we're absolutely not medical folks. We're, uh, I, I, I claim, my claim to fame is I'm a dumb sales guy, you know, and, and happen to be a CEO of a company. But we, we were, this is, this captures no personal data. So the device is just numbered and it really traps no data, no personal information is shared between people. It just detects when bands are next to each other. There's nothing, you never use that information. The only time it's used is that if at some point you were unfortunate and had an employee or, 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 
coworker or something that would test positive or showed symptoms, then you can go back and look at the history of the devices and see the, the duration, the distance, how long that they were exposed to another band. So you use none of this information to share or use until there's a positive uh, test or until you, you need to determine who was in that boundary of that person that could be infected within that certain time frame. So Dan, you all have, have sold tens of thousands of these. Um, how are you getting them out there and, and how do you get even more of them out there so that everybody will be wearing one? Yeah, the demand is really uh, out working this supply right now. We have a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, people just by word of mouth from hearing that there is a solution out there. You know, there's other solutions like your cell phone, which takes personal data into that plate. <clears throat> but when we're talking about you know, word of mouth, <clears throat> And the industries, and just telling, sharing with the people that, hey, this is a this is a device, very low cost. The company uh, proxy decided to make it a very low cost because they wanted to protect people. This is not something that they have to maintain a subscription to. It's a one-time cost. It's delivered to their door. It's easy to set up. We work with the people to get it going. So it's it's just really word of mouth that's been able to get this message out there. And, uh, you know, social media is so powerful uh, that it, that helps too. So. so who are the customers that are buying these things? And that's, that, that's what will really surprise you. Uh, we have universities. We have uh, laboratories. We have uh, financial institutions, small businesses, manufacturing facilities, chemical plants. You know, any, anybody that has a mass amount of people that they want to protect, that they know that they may be, times where those people there's so much interaction that they have uh, that could be an issue but uh we sold quite a few and have a lot of universities been inquiring about them and maybe not for all the students but for their faculty and for their people their inner maybe the maintenance staff and everything could it work for all the students absolutely but then you get into i'm not sure universities want to foot the bill for every student to have one but it would absolutely be a, a great atmosphere to remind the students to, to practice that safe distance. And what about the fact that, you know, you mentioned you're a salesman by uh, by trade. You've got this product that's very hot and, you, and there are competitors and you want to get there first. What is it like selling in this environment? I mean, you're probably a guy that used to come over and, uh, you know, shake people's hands and now you're, now you're on to Zoom. Can you do it? Yeah, it's really easy because people understand uh, the concept and people want to protect themselves and so it's very easy to demonstrate it's very easy to show we have screenshots of what they actually see behind the scenes when the data is captured and how you would use it to to see who is exposed so it's very easy to show and, it, and it's simple the, the, the product literally takes no input from the user they put it on like they would put a Fitbit or a wristwatch and they just go by their normal day-to-day -day functions Dan, is anybody else doing this? Is there any competition right now for this? Or is this proprietary? Have you patented it or trademarked it? Uh, well, again, it's not, a, it's not our product to patent, but the proxy, I'm sure, is working on things that keep certain information 
uh, for them, you know, and only them. But I know there's stuff like cell phones that you can do stuff with, uh, with iPhones and Google. There are all those big, big players are doing things. I know on the last update on your iPhone, you believe it or not, you can look at some of the settings. And if you go to settings and privacy, and there's an indicator on there that the last upgrade allows this to be turned on if you wanted to do social distancing, or you could see who you were exposed to. So there's a lot of people doing it. This just gives a very, very smooth, clean uh, installation of something that does not have any of your, pri of your privacy information or your data as an individual tied to it at all. So very safe, very uh, protected of that individual that's working. Dan, I can imagine one thing is that as a business person, this is very exciting from a cross-selling uh, point of view, isn't it? I mean, because you were in these places uh, for uh, industrial, uh, automation, safety. Uh, now you're in there. You're going to be in some new markets just from the product. Um, that's got to potentially be huge for you. Yeah, we have some really innovative products that we, that we there's kind of our claim to our existence with, with our company is their first to market leading edge technology. So Halo has given us an opportunity to reach into some other industries and, and Bella showcase what we do. And most of our products are used in any type of manufacturing and chemical plants. And so even universities use a lot of our products. So this is a perfect fit that we always like it's a lead in and it'll help us get into businesses that uh, maybe we couldn't have touched before that now this is such a, a well-received product that once we're in there, we can share what else we do. It seems like, you know, they're kind of, there's an emerging social distancing product market. The idea that, that, that there are different tools that maybe might have applications possibly for a long time. I mean, are, are you guys looking at other opportunities um, to bring products to market that, you know, maybe they're not doing this specific task, but, you know, remind people to wear masks. I don't know, like trying to figure out other ways uh, to bring things into the workplace that kind of help uh, keep people on their toes about what they ought to be doing in terms of minding their social distance or just, you know, heeding caution about the pandemic. It's a yeah, great question. The whole wearable industry is exploding. Uh, you're going to be able to do in, in a few years from now, that whole, that whole wearable is all focused on uh, safety and what it can do right now. You, there, there's so many different devices that all do specific or individual functions. It could be O2 monitoring in a plant. It could be all this different gas detection. It could be wearing it for uh, if a, a person down, if a person goes down, they're working alone and they're, they're not moving as far as a GPS locator of a person and see, notice that this individual hadn't moved in a while. So you have all these individual devices, wearables that are doing so many different tasks that I'm, I think you're going to start seeing some of these companies merge and merge some of these technologies together. So where you'll see one device doing multiple things, I think that'll come, that'll come up. And we pride ourselves in doing um, this industry 4.0 thinking, this innovative forward thinking, and that ties a lot of this into that. So where you're going to see a lot of safety technology, a lot of uh, social distancing, a lot of uh, typical hazards that you would see in any type of facility, this is going to help you protect it. Dan Dakota is owner and managing member of Ingenuity Global. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on Out to Lunch, Louisiana. Thank all of you. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for this edition of Out to Lunch, Louisiana. We edited these conversations to fit into the time slot here on your NPR station. 
You can hear longer versions of these conversations wherever you normally get your Out to Lunch podcast. If you're not an Out to Lunch podcast subscriber, search for Out to Lunch, Out to Lunch Baton Rouge, or Out to Lunch Acadiana on your podcast app. At some point soon, we're going back to hosting Out to Lunch around the lunch table. Uh, For now, Commander's Palace in New Orleans is closed, but you can have a wide range of ready-to-cook items shipped from Commander's Palace to yours anywhere nationwide. Information is at goldbelly.com. Our Lafayette Out to Lunch restaurant, The French Press, is open at 50% capacity, and you can get delivery through Waiter or Grubhub. In Baton Rouge, Mansur's on the Boulevard is open. They have 50% occupancy and you can get pickup. Out to Lunch Louisiana is a production of INO Broadcasting. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical director is Eric Merle. Photos from this show on our website and social media are taken by Jill LaFleur. I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. I'm Christian Mader in Lafayette. And I'm Peter Raschuti in New Orleans. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you back here next week for more Out to Lunch, Louisiana. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 